Boar's Head invites you to enlighten your senses. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Inspired by Japanese master chefs, our signature teriyaki glaze is crafted with garlic, ginger, and a hint of brown sugar. Then paired with our tender, slow-roasted chicken breast for a flavor that's sweet, savory, remarkably bold. Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan. Now at the deli. Compromise elsewhere. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another conversation. Today we have Dr. Umar Johnson. Dr. Umar Adabo Johnson is a nationally certified school psychologist who practices privately throughout the Pennsylvania and lectures throughout the country. As a school psychologist, Umar evaluates children ages 3 to 21 in an effort to determine if they have educational disabilities and a need for special education services. Johnson is considered a national expert on learning disabilities and their effect on black children, as well as an expert on helping schools and parents modify challenging behaviors that can ultimately lead to a disruptive behavior disorder diagnosis in black boys. He's a former Minister of Education for the Marcus Garvey Movement, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, and an African Community League. Dr. Johnson is a writer, political science, and consultant for families, educators, medicine health professionals, and charter schools throughout the country. As usual, my co-host, Chris Daly, will conduct the interview. So take it away, Chris. Thanks, Denise, and welcome, a warm welcome, Dr. Umar. It's great to enter into dialogue with you this evening. Thank you, sir. Honor is mine. Thank you. Um, first, let's let to introduce you to audience for those of the who may not know you and your deep and wide, fast roots. Tell us a little about your background, your roots. Uh, certainly, um, I'm a descendant, a blood relative of uh, Frederick Douglass, the famous 19th century abolitionist and orator. He and I descend from the same set of four parents, Isaac and Betsy Bailey. Grandma Betsy was an enslaved African, but Isaac was free. They had a very large family during slave time, as many did. And um, from their children, uh, two daughters in particular, Harriet and young Betsy, they were actually molested by the slave master who owned our family. And the resultant of that pregnancy was Frederick Douglass and his brother Stephen, and I am a great, 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 great grandson of Stephen Bailey, which would be Frederick's brother. Wow, that's that's a rich and deep um, and very interesting legacy that you have. How did your family go about keeping? It seems like you you folks are very intentional about and knowing what your roots are all about. Give us some uh, insight definitely. into that. From what I understand, uh, the knowledge of our history was passed down intergenerationally from slavery. But I do believe at some point that we started to get away from the roots. And I believe it was in the 50s or 60s or 40s, probably the 40s, 
family actually began a formal family reunion uh, system and ceremony and research committee. And I think from that, they were able to tie back together some of the loose ends to make sure that the history would survive as more generations of Baileys were born. Bailey is the family name. Frederick was originally Frederick Bailey, as you read in his three autobiographies, but he changed his name to Douglas after he escaped from slavery. But we are the Bailey family. We are far and wide. We number in the tens of thousands. So I'm not the only kisman to Frederick Douglass. I might be one of the only ones who do the work of Frederick Douglass, okay. but in terms of biological relationship, we're all over the planet. Great. You're very intentional, and I think your name is also very intentional, and it has a certain ministry and destiny. Help us to understand the power of a name. Names are very important, very, very important. In African culture, you know, there's a saying that your name actually helps to carve out your destiny, and your name can even limit your destiny if not chosen correctly. You have to remember, more than any other word, you're likely to hear your name. And because words are symbols, whatever meaning is behind your name is likely to resonate in your life and in your being. Now, me particularly, I've actually had uh, the honor or dishonor of having two different names. I was actually born a Jermaine. My mother named me Jermaine because she was a Jermaine Jackson fan uh, back in the 70s when the Jackson 5 were really popular. My father couldn't stand that fact. So after they got married, he changed my name from Jermaine to Umar, naming me after one of the caliphs of Islam or followers of the Prophet Muhammad who took over the religion after uh, the Prophet of Islam had died. Um, as far as Umar goes, it basically means lifetime and endless, eternal is basically the name of what it means eternal now. The actual um, historical character Umar had mixed feelings on him because he was actually the first of the Arabs, although he was an African Arab at the time. Uh, he was one of the first to actually give permission for the Arabs to come into North Africa. So me being a Pan-Africanist, being named after someone who was probably pivotal in the Arab occupation of North Africa, for me, I guess, is a little bit of a issue of contention. Okay. Let's talk about um, your famous ancestor, Frederick Douglass. Um, we were honored in Juneteenth that his statue was um, here um, presented in Washington, D.C. as a, a great symbol. What does Frederick Douglass mean to you in a contemporary sense? In a contemporary sense, I think Frederick Douglass, uh, for me and for a lot of us, is probably the near perfect, a near-perfect archetype of what a black man needs to be in this day and time. Uh, self-made, self-educated, self-motivated, fearless, bold, an excellent researcher, writer, defender of independent black institutions, uh, good husband uh, to Anna Murray Douglas, not that white woman who came late in life, um, okay. and also an excellent father to his children. So I think in, uh, when you look at him, he's probably the most honorable and most distinguished black man that we've probably produced uh, in modern history. And I think for that reason, he stands out as a symbol of excellence uh, for many of us, whether you are integrationist or nationalist or Garveyite or a socialist, we can all look to Frederick Douglass and find 
uh, some area of motivation in the long life and legacy that he left us. So in my work, I just try to exemplify that dignity, that character, that grace, and in many ways just try to finish the fight that he started. And you're certainly a, a contemporary Pan Africanist. And so uh, Marcus Garvey plays into that mix. Talk about what Garvey means to you and what's the nexus you see between Garvey and Douglas. Well, Garvey was actually the inheritor of Frederick Douglass's legacy of leadership, the only leader in America that actually separated Douglass and Garvey was Booker T. Washington. In fact, Booker T. Washington idolized Frederick Douglass, and he actually wrote one of the first biographies on the life of Frederick Douglass, who he considered to be his hero and greatest inspiration. And we know that Marcus Garvey was motivated to start his organization after reading Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery on his way back from London to Jamaica. And, of course, on July 20th of 1914, he organized the largest black organization in modern history, the Universal Negro Improvement Association. So had Frederick Douglass not inspired Booker T. Washington, there would have never been an Up From Slavery for Marcus Garvey to read, which would then inspire him to build the UNIA. So although there's some... Uh, political differences between Garvey and Douglas. Obviously, uh, Douglas believed in the possibility for equality in America for blacks was a very real goal, whereas Garvey believed that it was not a real goal and that separation was necessary. Although you have those differences, they had a lot more in common. The honor, the integrity, uh, self-reliance, uh, the boldness, the character, I think they had a lot more in common than they had indifference. And I think that's why Marcus Garvey named his first black star line steamship the S.S. Frederick Douglass. Yes, that's wonderful. And now we come to you. We want to take this legacy and, uh, and, and practice in, in a modern-day setting. Tell us how this has informed your mission and what you're doing to, to take this philosophy forward? Well, Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey, to me collectively, are probably my left and right arm in terms of looking at ancestors who I try to exemplify and use as models. Uh, one thing that I'm always careful to clarify is that I'm not trying to be another Frederick Douglass or another Marcus Garvey uh, because to only be what they were does not necessarily uh, suggest progress because we're a hundred years um, after uh, the creation of Garvey's organization, and we're more than a hundred years after the death of Frederick Douglass. So, not trying to be what they were, but to further that, my mission is Pan Africanism. Uh, I want to unite African people globally. I want us to bring us together under an operational umbrella so we can work together to get many of our problems solved. And of course, one thing that both Garvey and Douglas took seriously, and that was education. And to that end, I'm trying to build, I will build, uh, a Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey Re-Africanization Academy for our young men because I am of the firm, resolute opinion that African boys will not receive the education they are entitled to until black men provide it for them. Okay. I just want to interrupt you one second, sir, and ask 
There's some folks who are listening in on us, and I think they have, if you could mute yourself, that we can uh, really hear what Dr. Umar has to share with us this evening. Thank you so much. So one of the ways you've approached that is, um, and you're focusing on black men in particular, and in learning disabilities. Um, what kind of guided that focus for you? You being a psychologist, I guess that that's certainly a piece of it. Well, I always wanted to be a psychologist since I was a young child. Probably around the third grade, I decided that psychology would be my life path. School psychology was somewhat of an, of an accident as my studies in that field were actually recommended to me by other folk who thought I should get involved with school psychology, given my love for children. Uh, it was purely divine coincidence that my political work as a Pan-Africanist would actually intersect with my professional work as a school psychologist. And that point of intersection came as a result of me experiencing firsthand the exploitation and miseducation and psychiatric abuse of black boys. That, in and of itself, raised enough attention and alarm in me to make the education of our children a central part of my fight for African people. Great. So give that. Give, give us, you know, folks may not have the kind of insight and information about the state of black education, in particular among boys. Could you give us um, uh, our, an executive summary and overview of that? Uh, certainly. Basically, education in America is designed to teach black children to work for white people. And that education is one that alienates African children from their own community and actually steers them on a road that ultimately leads many of them towards becoming members of the black bourgeoisie or the black aristocracy. As far as boys go, the public school system is designed to destroy them. In fact, the American social order has a five-stage process for, for destroying black boys. First is miseducation, followed by psychiatric medication, followed by juvenile incarceration, and the next step is psychological frustration, and that's when the black boy basically decides to drop out of school for the way he's been treated and miseducated, which leads to stage five of the extermination cycle, and that is premature extermination. Uh, one out of every four African-American males is murdered by another frustrated, miseducated, psychiatrically medicated uh, black boy by the age of 35. So it is that five-stage cycle of death that the American public and charter school system has designed, enforced, and perpetrated against our young men that I am fighting. And rather than change the system, I think we need to build our own systems because white people are totally incapable of providing African children with the education that they're entitled to. Okay. So speak a little further now. You've, you've done a great job in outlining what the issues are and with and talk a little about the, the the means and the methods that you are fostering to to take us in this journey. Well, the mean is independent education. 
we have to change the way black people think before we can change anything else about our condition. The mind is the battleground. Most wars are fought in the mind. And so we're going to have to change the way that black people think in order to change their condition. And education provides us the medium to do that. When you educate, you're actually engineering thought, you're engineering reaction, you're engineering behavior, you're engineering habits. So education is a very, very powerful tool that supersedes the teaching of math, writing, and reading. So in this age of the Internet where we can reach people, is that one of the means that that can be used to deliver this stuff? Of um, capability I think internet does as much harm As it does good Me personally I'm an old fashioned Booker T. Washington educator I really don't want to In my school Rely too much on ed- on internet As it relates to education I think that there's a general dumbing down Of African children As a result of over reliance On the internet A lot of our children don't know how to do good research they don't know how to get into a library. Many of our children don't know how to use a library. They don't know how to search out factual documentation that actually has reference sources where you can actually corroborate the statements that are made. Anything can be posted on an Internet, but not anything can necessarily be published or receive wide circulation in a library. And so I think that we are losing of the research-based mind as a result of an over-reliance on Internet sources for our information. So you said that they, they do not, because the information cannot be certified and if folks do not have a means of, of judging what's good and bad, then they'll, they'll not make develop that kind of critical thinking. Exactly. And you have children you have children taking information off the internet that cannot even be proven to be correct. So for example, if they have to do a book report on Marcus Garvey, there's information about Marcus Garvey on the internet, but not everything is accurate. But the child doesn't know that because they're not they're not getting information from a reliable and credible source. I'm going to have to drop some folks here because I think um, they're they're not muting. Um, is there, given the dire circumstances, of the, are there any seeds of hope you'd like to plant with us tonight? Marcus Garvey said that our creed is confidence in ourselves, and that is my seed of hope. I believe that what man has done, man can do. I believe that it's totally within our grasp to change the current direction that we're headed in as a people. I think that although white supremacy is our greatest enemy, I think that we are our greatest adversaries, and I think that we have to improve our ability to get along with each other, to agree to disagree, to stop spending so much time on intellectual masturbation, to understand that information is good, but there is no replacement for institutions, to realize that at the end of the day, our differing political ideologies are minuscule items compared to the common plight that we're all involved in. I think black men need to understand that the black woman is not our enemy, and black women need to understand that the black man is not hers. And I think that if we just start respecting 
and having more patience with each other, we can build the type of unity necessary that will allow us to bust through our common problems. That's wonderful. Are there any resources that you would point folks to that they should avail themselves as to to turn this thing this miseducation around? Uh, as far as miseducation goes, I would recommend that all your listeners uh, purchase a copy of my new book, The Psychoacademic Holocaust, The Special Education and ADHD Wars Against Black Boys, which can be purchased on my website, drumarjohnson.com. It's the only book in print right now that teaches parents how to fight the miseducation and ADHD machine. And as because of that, I strongly recommend that. Uh, and also understand that we have to begin to build our own schools, and that's something that I'm working on now, and I'll have more information forthcoming about that as the weeks and months go by, as we get closer to 2014, because I would like to have my school open by the fall of 2015. Uh, also, I'll begin work tomorrow on my documentary, which will be entitled The Shockumentary, America's War Against Black Boys. And for more information on that, they can check the website, or they can follow me on Twitter, at Dr. Umar Johnson, or on Facebook, at Dr. Umar Ifatunde, my Yoruba name, which is spelled I-S-A-T-U-N-D-E. All right, that is good. Thank you for that vital set of information, Sure. As we close, are there any parting wisdom you'd like to leave with our audience? Oh, without question. Frederick Douglass said that without, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who want freedom but are afraid of agitation are like men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain but can't stand the thunder or the lightning. They want the ocean water but can't deal with the waves. He says the struggle might be moral or it might be physical or it might be both, but it must be a struggle. He said power can seize nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Whatever black people want, we must take. Wow. Powerful and stern words. Dr. Umar, thank you so much. No and problem. The honor was mine. To learn about Chris Daly, visit Let's Get Mobile Social. To learn more about Jamaican Diaspora, visit JamaicanDiaspora.com. And, of course, Dr. Umar Johnson is DrUmarJohnson.com. Thanks, Dr. Umar. Bye now. No problem, sister. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Today's story, Marty and the two for $4 croissantwich. Yeah, I go to Burger King. They got that uh, croissantwich deal, two for $4. It's wicked good with the sausage, dude. And two for $4, that is a huge bargain. Huge. 
<laughs> well said, Marty. Tasty, savory, sausage on a flaky croissant. Hey, this is not breakfast. This is a Burger King breakfast. Get two croissant sandwich sandwiches now for just $4. Only at Burger King. Price participation varies.